Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand as you're seated this morning? Great to see you this morning. Good morning. Glad you're here. Would you do me a favor? Turn to someone near you, smile at them, and say, I'm really glad you're here today. Would you do that? Even if you aren't really glad they're here, I want you to do it anyway. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 11. We've been talking about how Jesus is the bridge. And today we're going to stay with a theme we thought was appropriate for Memorial Day. A day of remembrance, but it's also a day of mourning and recognition and grieving. And today we want to talk about working through grief, but not just the grief of the loss of a loved one, but how Christ wants to come alongside and minister to the brokenhearted and bring us into joy again. And before we get into God's word this morning, I'd like to share with you a testimony from a, a young lady who attends our church here, and I think it'll become very clear when you watch the video this morning. A family from Wixom is torn apart in an instant. A mother and her 15-year-old son killed in this horrific accident in St. Clair County. This happened in Birchville Township, that's north of Port Huron. Our Chauncey Glover spoke to witnesses who tried to help. I heard the brakes go on to the semi. Just heard a great big screeching boom. The collision so powerful. I jumped up from the chair and just seeing this semi just plowing two cars. This semi truck carrying 40,000 pounds of milk, pushing the family's explorer from the intersection through this restaurant parking lot over a concrete barrier landing right here. Every summer, my family would pick a new campground and go to. Uh, it was my dad's side of the family. We'd all meet up in that five years ago. We happened to pick Lakeport State Park, and my brother, 15 years old, and my mother and I were traveling together to meet up with the rest of the family. And as we got to um, Birch Road in 25, my brother came up to the intersection and he looked right, left, looked right, but before he looked left again, he started inching out and we were hit by a fully loaded milk tanker where my brother and mother were killed upon impact. I had been knocked out unconscious upon impact and it wasn't about 10 minutes later when the truck had came to a resting point that I had came back to and I remember a lady being at the back of the truck and asking me if I could get myself out of the truck and I was able to unbuckle myself, find my cell phone and uh, get out of the back window. The biggest question was why? Why did this have to happen to our family? And you never really think that it's going to happen to you or your family and when it does it totally just rocks your world and you start questioning why, why me, why us? Everything seemed to be going right for us. Day to day, it's not too difficult to get through. You, you learn to live life in the new way. It's those big moments, wedding day, um, Mother's Day, birthdays. Those are the days that are hard to get through. I went through a period of really dark days going through having to go to school every day go to student teach is what got me through each day but when I came home I would shut myself off 
and I would stay in my room and just that was my routine get up go to school come home be alone get up go to school come home be alone I never left my relationship with the Lord I never wanted him out of my life but I definitely put him off to the side because I wanted to control what I could control and I couldn't control what God wanted for me it wasn't until um, probably about five months after the accident where I was sitting in church and uh, I was just thoroughly convicted with the pastor's message of allowing God to or allowing people to see God in your life and I I really was struck with the fact I'm like it, am I allowing people to see God in my life right now and it ended up I ended up going down to the altar and I, I confessed that I had just been trying to hold on to everything in my life and that control was just eating me alive and I wasn't allowing myself to open up to relationships and it was probably one of the first times where I audibly heard the word God and the word go. And I knew, I knew instantly what that meant. And that led me on the path to um, teaching out of the country in Bolivia for a year. And that process of leading up to going out of the country, it gave me purpose, it gave me excitement, it gave me um, something to look forward to. And that time away, allowing my, taking everything that was comfortable and just helping me realize that I have to do each day with God. I have to have him in my life to be able to pour into my students. It gave me a new sense of joy and hope and just a passion for what he has called me to do in life. Even in the darkest days, even in the darkest times, we have to remember that God is, we're never alone. God is always there. And it is through him, the sacrifice that he gave to us through his son, that we have ultimate hope that our, our family members, our loved ones, if, if they had Jesus in their heart, they're, they're with him, they're in a better place. And that, that promise, that truth has brought me, my heart, so much peace, knowing where my mom and brother are. And that has brought me joy again to know that they don't have to go through life anymore suffering or in pain, but they get the joy of the Lord each and every day. We ultimately have hope through Jesus, and I don't know how you get through the darkest days of your life without that hope. Well, I have uh, I've watched that video a number of times this weekend, and uh, it impacts me every time. And Caitlin um, is actually in our service today. Would you just show your appreciation and love to Caitlin? I want to wade into what for many is just a heavy topic, talking about brokenheartedness and how Christ wants to minister into our brokenheartedness. And, and what I, I'd like to share with you this morning out of John chapter 11, and we're going to use it as a template to talk about how God wants to meet and minister to the brokenhearted. But before we dig into that, I just want to give you a couple of comments. And the first one is just simply this, is that God doesn't expect us to be happy all the time. Um, I think sometimes we get this idea that um, as a believer in Christ that I need to put on a Pollyanna face and somehow always be happy. And I would just tell you that happiness isn't always even appropriate, right? Because we do go through times of grief. We go through times of loss. We go through, and God wants 
the way that God actually ministers into our life is actually through our grieving. We, we have the ability to grieve, by the way, because we are made in the image of God. And God grieves. God grieves sin. God grieves needless loss. In fact, Scripture over and over. In fact, we can actually grieve His Spirit, and we are created in His image. And as such, um, grieving is essential to our life, and it's essential to our health. David said this in the Psalms, in uh, Psalm 32, and he was actually talking about sin, but he was grieving his sin, and he said that when I kept silent, my bones wasted away within me. My strength was sapped for me. But he said, but then when I came clean, when I started talking about this, and so I would just simply share with you that we need to grieve for our own emotional health. And we are going to grieve in hundreds and perhaps thousands of different ways throughout our life. It is not just the loss of a life that we grieve. Sometimes we grieve, in fact, in this room, I know stories, and you know the stories, that some be at times we grieve a divorce that's taken place, or a child who has made poor decisions, or we grieve, we grieve what never was, we grieve even what was, right? I mean, both sometimes there are disappointments, and then sometimes there's regrets, sometimes we grieve accusations, we grieve um, the loss of reputation over and over. There are all types of grieving that will take place. And one of my favorite phrases on grief is simply this, is that when we fail to grieve in a healthy way, uh, externally or outwardly, we will deal with grief inwardly in a very unhealthy way. If we don't deal with grief in a healthy way, then we're going to deal with grief in an unhealthy way. And that can exhibit itself in not just depression, uh, it can exhibit itself with uh, drugs, uh, alcohol, um, self-harm, and just simply isolating ourselves. And so we, we need to grieve. It's healthy for us. So I want to get into John chapter 11 this morning. And in John chapter 11... We could spend probably three weeks working through this passage and looking at a different aspect of what we could learn. But Jesus has a friend who is dying. His name is Lazarus. Lazarus is the brother to Mary and Martha. And I would suggest probably one of the closest families in Jesus' life of ministry. And Lazarus is, uh, is dying. In fact, I would share with you that by the time Jesus gets word, he has already died. So people come to find him and say, Lazarus, your friend is dying, he's ill, you need to come. And Jesus delayed for two more days before he went. And then upon his return to Bethany, which is just a, a couple of miles from Jerusalem, we see Jesus interacting with Mary and Martha and all of those that are there grieving. And I want you again to see this as a template to how God wants to come alongside of the brokenness in our lives. Here's what it says in God's word, chapter 11, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, the reason I tell you that is because Jesus delayed for two days. It was about a one-day journey from where Jesus was at. So I want you to see that before, by the time the people got to Jesus in the first place, Lazarus had already passed away. They didn't know it, but the Lord knew it. And Jesus delayed, I would suggest to you, because he was going to display 
uh, something powerful in this time. And the reason for that is, is that even in paganism, they believe that the soul stayed in the body for about three days. And so by delaying for a, several extra days, as Jesus later does this miracle of resurrection, he is going beyond what anybody ever thought could possibly happen, even in possibility. And it says this, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. By the way, does that sound familiar? Lord, had you shown up, Lord, had you just cared, Lord, had you just been around, none of this would have happened. And Jesus looks at her and she says in verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and she called to her sister Mary and called her aside and said, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, and she saw him, and she fell down at his feet, and notice what she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who were with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was troubled and he asked, where have you laid him? Well, come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. By the way, shortest verse in scripture and yet it is powerfully packed with incredible truth about who God is. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind men have kept this man from dying. So now the third or fourth time in this passage that Jesus is being questioned. If you'd have been here, if you really cared, if you really loved me, if you really are who you say you are, couldn't you have done something to spare us from having to go through this time of brokenness? Jesus once more was deeply moved and he came to the tomb and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance and he said, take away the stone. Now I'm gonna let you read the rest of the story the rest of the story, actually, for the purposes of today, is not necessarily important, although it is the most powerful, I think, other than his own resurrection, it's the most powerful uh, miracle that we see Jesus performing. But in this passage, you see uh, promises and the ways that God wants to minister when we go through brokenness in our lives. And again, this is regardless of what the law says. I, I personally have found, and if I could just say this to you, pain is pain. And pain hurts. 
And it doesn't really do us a lot of good by trying to compare our pain to everybody else's pain because either we will minimize other people's pain and we'll say to ourselves, I'm the only one who has ever felt this way. Mine is far greater than anything they have gone through. Or we minimize our own pain and we say, what I'm going through really isn't that bad because what everybody else has gone through is so much worse. And can I just tell you, pain hurts and it grieves us and we're broken. And so the first thing that God wants to do for those who are brokenhearted is that God grieves with us. God actually comes alongside of us in our grief and he grieves along with us. It's interesting in this passage that when you see Jesus, by the way, you are seeing the heavenly father. Jesus says, I and the father are one. It says in Hebrews chapter one that Jesus is the radiance or the visible, tangible representation of the invisible God. When you get into Colossians chapter one, it says that all the fullness of God is within Christ. So when you see Jesus and how he interjects into people's lives, you are seeing the heart of the father. Father, and so when Jesus weeps, I want you to understand God weeps with you. Now that seems like something that just, well, wait a minute, you could have done something about it. Why would God, why would God cry about something? Why would he weep? Why would he grieve? Because God hates the depravity of humanity. God hates the sinfulness of humanity. And frankly, I, I think God is grieved over the consequences that sin has brought into this world. But it says that he doesn't just grieve with us, but that he actually comes near to us and draws us near to his heart. And I, I find that so powerful because when you're brokenhearted, it's the time in life that, God, that we least want to reach out. It's the time that we want to isolate. It's the time that we almost want to push God away. And so when God makes the promise to come near to the brokenhearted, I love that promise because he's kind of like he's saying, I know right now you're having a hard time reaching out to me, so I want you to know I'm going to reach out to you. It says that in the psalm, Psalm chapter um, 34. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Hebrews 13, uh, 5 is a verse that is repeated over and over in Scripture, and it simply says this, God has said, in fact, I'm going to say it this way, I'm going to put my own little words in there, God has promised, because if God says it, it's a promise, he says, God has promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And even when you think I'm distant from you, I want you to know I am not distant. I am near you. In, this, in the, uh, the book of Isaiah uh, 53, talking about Jesus, it says he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and he was familiar with suffering. Like one whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, I love this promise, surely he took our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. And so when Christ went to the cross, yes, he carried our sins, and yes, he carried our failures, but he also carried our hurts and our grief and our pain. He carried those as well. The second way that God wants to minister into the lives of the brokenhearted is that God gives us the body of Christ to grieve with us. Grieving was never tended to be done in isolation. Grieving takes place in community. 
And I, I, I specifically want you to see three different times in this passage, it says the Jews that were there to comfort them. You notice when it says Mary darted out of the house, she was going to go see Jesus. They all assumed she was going to the tomb to mourn. So what do they do? They went with her. There is something about when we go through mourning that when we are grieving, whatever it is, that we don't go through it alone. In fact, God created us to have the body of Christ to come alongside of us in those times. Romans chapter 12, Paul says it this way, and I took three different verses and I popped them together only because I'm not going to read, I don't want to read all ten verses at one time. But look what it says in Romans chapter uh, 12. It says, so in Christ... We who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Did you realize you belong to each other? Turn to somebody that's sitting around you and just say, Hey, you belong to me. Do that real quick. Hey, you belong to me. That feels weird, doesn't it? I'm going to move on. That seems really weird. Verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And I've actually found sometimes it's easier to mourn with those who mourn than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice because you have someone who's your friend and they come to you and they say, hey, I got a promotion at work and now my salary is doubled and we're like, yay. <laughs> There's a little bit of jealousy that comes up. But we're and I love that little phrase that says that it says that joy that is shared is double joy. And mourning or grieving that is shared is half the grief. When you have someone to carry that with you. Um, I shared with you that Caitlin uh, Tucky is with us uh, this morning. And Caitlin, can you come on up here? And, and um, I want to I share a little bit more about the story. Uh, we spent some time together as we were uh, doing that video work. And, uh, oh, by the way, can I, on behalf of everyone out here, can I give you a hug? Because i got to tell you, all weekend my wife's been down there giving her hugs, right? Uh, because this was hard. And you've watched this video a number of times, and it, I'm sure it still brings back so many memories. But you actually shared with me how people helped you in that process. Talk to me a little bit about that. Three weeks after the accident, I had to go back to college and finish up my last semester. And thankfully, I lived with uh, six other ladies who really were awesome, but they all had really great relationships with their moms, and they all had younger brothers. So being around them was difficult. And so I would go to, um, go to student teach, and I'd come home, and I would shut myself off. It was just easier to stay in my room and be by myself. But that also allowed me to go home and be with my dad on the weekends. And uh, we went, we would go to, back to our church on Sunday morning. I grew up attending Wald Lake Missionary Church and a little bit smaller size than here at Colonial Woods. And um, my family, my parents had been, a, been a, um, members there for almost 30 years then. The church family was family. And going there and um, when we're singing, you can just look around and you could see people still crying. You could still see how the loss of two of the family members at church just really affected the whole the whole room. And so when I'm standing there and all I can do is just cry, um, people would just either give me a come 
up and give me a hug, or they would just let me know that they're still hurting too and I'm not in it alone. And that fact, that knowing that other people were still um, in the, the grief process with us, still feeling that loss, really brought a lot of uh, peace to me, knowing that I wasn't in it alone. You, you know, you, you, I had shared, you, you actually didn't attend Colony Woods at the time. Um, it was actually a year or a year and a half, two years later when you and Jason got married. Um, we heard about it immediately because uh, Jim Keller had called and said, is there one of you, can you go up to the scene? And uh, In fact, this morning we had some of the first responders that were here and you had a chance to talk with them. Um, and so you came to our church and it was interesting. I didn't know this until uh, last night when you and I were sharing, but you talked about how um, you kind of timed it on purpose so that you could be a part of Grief Share at our counseling center. What was that like for you? Grief Share was um, a great a great process, a healing process. It was difficult at first to commit to it because it's 13 weeks, but I knew, I knew where I was at in life. I needed something more. I needed an accountability group. I needed people who understood what I was going through so that I could be able to, to open up and share and have that that sense of community where I, I wasn't in it alone and to be able to go through that process together and work through the different facets of grief together it really just helped me open up and to be able to know that there is healing at the at the end of this and, and each and every day yeah in fact we were talking uh it was about a month ago when um, i'd heard your story a couple of times in a process jason was going through his licensing and so you were sharing a little bit of your story and it just struck me i just said hey have you you ever had a chance to share your story you were talking about some of the, the times you've been able to, to, to do that um, and then I reached out to you and I said would you consider sharing your story in a larger and I promised you it would not be Mother's Day that's the one thing I told you that it won't be that weekend but I said would you be willing but this has actually had an interesting impact on you just kind of sharing um, I think you use the word cathartic right tell me a little bit about that Year after year, it gets a little bit easier. You learn how to deal with um, each and every day a little bit better. Uh, um, it's coming up on five years in July, and just having to revisit the different, the revisit the accident, and then revisit what God has been doing in my life since then has really, like I said, cathartic. It's just been a release of emotions, and there's times when. Uh, tears do not come easily and then there's times like the last month where all I can do is seem to cry and just in remembrance of my mom and brother and just the, the hurt and loss that our family is still feeling but it's been very healing at the same time yeah and it's not a right amount of time right one of my favorite quotes we're going to look at today or hear about today is that you don't you don't get over grief you get through it you don't go around it you don't go under it you, you got to go through it that's the nature of grief and there's not a right amount of time um, I think it's fair to say that your your mom and or your your dad and your sister, they're still grieving and they they're grieving differently and this we're a different spot in that journey and so there's not a right or a wrong it just we go through that. Yeah. Hey, how do you find joy today? It's kind of ironic that the one thing that I didn't want right after the accident of um, I didn't want to be around people is the one thing that has brought me the most joy. And I've found that honestly in uh, going on missions trips and being able to minister to other people who are hurting around the world. And then also just getting involved with ministry here at church. It's been really, really good for me to be with Chloe.
1256 and the youth group and the college age group and then being a teacher and just finding joy in the classroom each and every day I get to love on 20 21 fifth graders every day and just help them with it where they're at in life we love you and we are so um, proud of you and Jason and what God has been doing in your life and hey would you help me thank her again this is uh, In fact, it's really interesting that um, in the bottom of my notes, not on my note sheet, but literally on the bottom of the page, I don't know when I wrote it, I just wrote down this. Could it be that the very thing that you never wanted and could never imagine could be the very avenue that God could use in your life to bring glory to himself and to minister to others? And that is the redemptive work of God. Um, Tammy and I can tell you so many stories. I can tell you of couples that went through times of devastation and infidelity that today have ministry into the life of couples. Um, they are the very agent that God is using to bring restoration and healing. Uh, scripture says that we comfort, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, says this, I'm going to read it for you. 2 Corinthians chapter um, 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. And so, so who better to understand the brokenness of going through the loss of a, of a child than someone who's lost a child or a spouse than someone who's lost a spouse or one who's had a prodigal than the parent who's had the prodigal or the one who has gone through disappointment and devastation in relationship, the one who's gone through disappointment and devastation in relationship. I'm always impacted. Um, a number of years ago when we had our divorce care for kids, um, I actually interviewed, uh, after it got started, all of the adults that were working in that program, and I was so impacted by the number of them who the reason that they stated that they wanted to be involved in that ministry was because they had, uh, they knew what it was like to have their parents divorce. And some of them had gone through it as adults, and yet they wanted to minister into the life of those young people with the same kind of healing that they had found because they understood. And, and God's redemptive work is that the very thing in our life where he wants to bring comfort in our lives, he wants the purpose or one of the par partnerships of that is to actually minister into the life of others through that. So God not only ministers to the brokenhearted by saying, hey, I'm going to come near, I'm going to grieve with you. And not only am I going to bring along the body of Christ, but number three, the Lord ministers to the brokenhearted with the hope of heaven. Now that's central in all of this passage because in the end, that is, no matter how long or short we think life is, it's all short in relationship to eternity. And so Jesus looks at her and he says, your, your brother's going to rise again. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will not, even if he dies, he'll, he'll live. And so he's referring to the hope of heaven and eternity. And scripture is full of the promises of what yet awaits us. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, I want to write to you, brothers and sisters, so that you're not ignorant about this because we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. 
because there is hope. I mean, there is grieving. He says, by the way, he doesn't say you're not supposed to grieve, right? We grieve, we just grieve with hope. And I, I got to tell you, we can grieve with hope and we can grieve without hope. And I got to tell you, the only way to grieve is with hope. I mean, that, that is the only way that I can imagine going through and getting through those types of things in our life that break our heart. Because God, God says, I want you to know there is yet another day. In Hebrews chapter 11, when he's talking about those who died by faith, he said, you know, even in their death, they, they were living by faith and they hadn't yet received what they were believing God was going to do. But it says this in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, they were longing for a better country. Now, I happen to believe the United States is a great country. But can I just tell you, there's a better country. And it's not in this world, it's in yet is what to come. Because for every believer, he, he talks about this better country. This, even compared to what you have today, yet better. C.S. Lewis used to say this. His wife had gone through, I believe, cancer. And when he was going through suffering, he actually did a whole thing on suffering. And he said the trouble was suffering. And he said, you know, the one thing about suffering is that God uses it in our life to help us to understand this isn't all there is. He said there would be the temptation to think this is the destination. And suffering is allowed in our life to remind us we're not there yet. This is not all that there is. In fact, in that passage, it talks about a better country. He talks about a holy city being prepared for them. And in Revelation chapter 21, John, the revealer, the revelator, he's, he begins to describe this holy city. And he says, I saw the holy city coming down from heaven from God. And it was prepared as a beautifully dressed bride. And he said this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God will be with them, and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And i and I got to be honest with you, I've changed, because I used to say there are no tears in heaven. And yet when I read that passage, I think there's going to be one last good cry. I've, I've just kind of come to believe, you know what? I think there is going to be one last cry. I think we're going to be aware of our own failures and our own sins and, and, and the things that we often regret. And it says he wipes away every tear that he's going to be the ultimate healer, the ultimate comforter, the ultimate consoler. And he says it's all because of the hope of eternity through Christ. And so he says, I, I want to minister to the brokenhearted. I want to be near them and I want to draw them near to me. Whatever the regret, whatever the pain, whatever the hardship, whatever the loss, I'll be near you. And I have the body of Christ that I'm going to bring alongside of you. Because grieving takes place, it takes place in, in community. And I'm going to give you the hope of heaven, but there's a last one here that I love, that he gives the possibility of life again. And when I use the word life, it is the word, uh, it's the word zoe, not bios. It means quality of life. It means that which brings significance to life. And I, if you allow me to, because we, we don't exactly know how this interaction went, but I, I like to think that when Jesus has the interaction with Martha, he says, Martha, your brother is going to rise again. 
And I kind of feel like Martha, I don't think she's giving him attitude. I just, I, sometimes when I read this, I think that she looks at him and says, yeah, I, I know, in, in the last day at the resurrection, I, I know he's going to, I know he's going to rise again. And it was like Jesus looked at her and said, no, 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 not someday, today. Martha thought her only hope for joy was someday. Jesus said, no, your hope for joy is today. Jesus understood that as the one who holds the resurrection and the life, that life begins whenever we come to him. That he wants to not just give joy again someday, but he wants to bring joy again today. And Isaiah, it says this. Isaiah, which is a passage that Jesus actually quoted when he was referring to himself, Isaiah 61, he said, the spirit of the sovereign God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for captives and the release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve. Can I say this in Colonial Woods? In Zion? Wherever you are, he says, I can provide for those who grieve to bestow on them the crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of gladness. And I got to be honest, I don't like the new NIV translation. I like can I, the old NIV translation. It says, and bestow upon them the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Scripture talks about oil being uh, a promise of God. In fact, oil in Scripture is a representation of not just the promises of God, but also the Holy Spirit. And so whenever I read this passage, I always think that God wants to pour out, He wants to anoint through the ministry of His Holy Spirit joy again. If you're here this morning and you've gone through loss, you might be saying, you know, Pastor, this message isn't for me. Can I tell you, every person here is going to need this message. I would share with you, all of us already need the message. We've all gone through stuff. But I promise you, Christ wants to come alongside and be the bridge, not just to eternity, but the bridge to joy Father, I uh, thank you for the promises of your word. And there is something really powerful about our story. We've been using as a catchphrase kind of this discover the other side of your story. And for some, they feel trapped. They feel trapped in a reality that they're just never going to experience joy again. And Father, my prayer is that today that you would draw them near to you. Holy Spirit, you're called the one who comes alongside. You are called the comforter and the counselor. And I would ask that you would break into each one of our lives today as we reach out to you. I know a lot of the stories that are in this room. But 
but Lord, you know every story. And you promise, Lord, that you'll never push us away, but that you draw us near. And even when we want to give you the silent treatment, you just, you're there. Oftentimes, the very one that we're mad at is you, and yet you're the only one who can restore and bring hope and encouragement. So, Father, with uh, our weak and feeble arms, we reach up like a little baby for the first time that reaches out for his dad or his mom. We ask that you draw us near. We ask that you bring inner healing. We, 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 Lord, we thank you for tears. But we're praying that in the tears that you would bring healing and comfort. We thank you for the body of Christ. Those moments, Lord, sometimes we just need to be alone. Sometimes we need to privately mourn. But Lord, keep us from isolation. Keep us from getting on an island where it seems like no one can touch us. We desperately need you. We ask the God of all joy and the God of all comfort to minister your incredible healing today. Begin us on that journey, we pray. In Jesus' name. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.